Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to our Genuine Humans podcast, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Wendy. Wendy, how's your week going? Really well, thank you. I'm just adjusting to back being more or less alone in the house again now that the schools have gone back because my other half's a teacher. So I'm having to do things like answer the door myself and, you know, it's, it's just too much. <laughs> How are things with you? Oh, no, going well. I've, I've been having meetings with people in offices. It's very, very exciting to be <laughs> going back and seeing humans again. So, but uh, and talking about humans, we are joined today by someone that I admire greatly. And we first bonded over slogan t-shirts like Be Kind when we we met at a marketing society event. Uh, We'll hear more about that philosophy later, but first things first, welcome to the podcast, Celia Pronto. Hi, how are you? Very good. It's lovely to have you here. Celia, you're the MD of Love Home Swap, but I would like to go backwards a little bit if that's all right, because I'm always fascinated. Uh, So you're the, the MD, but you've been in marketing for uh, a while and you've worked with uh, like the casual dining group, intercontinental hotels and, and many more brands. But how did you fall into marketing? Was it a falling in sort of situation? Can you tell a little bit more about your your story? Absolutely. So firstly, thank you so much for having me on. It's a, It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. So I definitely fell into marketing. I think marketing chose me rather than perhaps me choosing it. I started out believe it or not, wanting to be a chartered accountant. And people normally look at me very strangely when I say that. So I I got my undergraduate degree in accounting, finance and tax, believe it or not. Okay. Um, And started out my career, went to work. Uh, My first job was as an accountant. I realized on day two, I hated it and I could (laughs) not be an accountant. Uh And then, uh, but really wanted to get some general commercial experience. So I ended up working for this company that represented brands like Nestle and Unilever, and they effectively helped grow market share in sub-Saharan countries. So I joined them really working a lot on logistics, supply chain, shipping. So got really good commercial experience. And it was while I was there, I guess, being exposed to brands like Unilever and Nestle that I suddenly developed this interest in this thing called marketing. Mm. And so I went back to study, um, studied part-time and desperately wanted to get into Unilever. Took me three goes to get into Unilever. In those days, they only took graduates. And by this point, of course, I wasn't a graduate. Um, So it took me three goes and finally I got into Unilever. um, And that was really my my birth in marketing. And I just absolutely adored, adored my time with them. Fantastic. So that you're very sort of persuasive to keep going three times. Determined, I think is the word. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Wonderful. And and so obviously you've been working in the travel sector. Was that a sort of a, a, a particular love for you? No, again, it was one of those uh, squiggly career type opportunities. 
I'd been at Unilever for, uh, I spent about three years with them actually, and then decided to move to the UK, moved to the UK. And at the time I moved to the UK, I was in the middle of doing my MBA. One of the modules that we studied was services marketing. And I was fascinated by this idea of how you market something when you don't have a physical product. And so I, I really wanted to get services marketing experience when I first moved over and I fell into digital. So that was really my sort of falling in, in love with digital and, and where I've stayed ever since. Um, and it was a few years after that, I got an opportunity to join. Initially, it was Rank Group. That was mm. really my first sort of leisure experience. Um, so Rank in those days owned Grosvenor Casinos, Mecca Bingo, and they still owned the Hard Rock Cafe brand. So I joined them, set up their interactive division. Um, and then from there, I went on to work in hospitality at Intercontinental Hotels Group, working in their e-commerce business for about three years. I then segued into travel uh, and was the marketing and e-commerce director for STA Travel, um, who in those days were the world's largest student and youth travel organization. Then went back to work in startup and went to work in restaurant technology with a company called Booker Table. So really kind of this big stint in leisure and hospitality. Then completely left the sector for four years and went to work, work in automotive retail and then got pulled back into hospitality to casual dining group. Loved my time there and, and now back, you know, continuing to stay and travel with Love Home Swap. So it's been an accident rather than by design. What are those? Yes, as you say, it's a squiggly career path. I like that. I think that's a, that's a great description. And if you don't mind, Celia, I'd like to go even further back than university. I'm really curious about how we are as kids shapes where we end up as adults. So what were you like when you were little? Oh, my gosh. What was <laughs> I like? I think you could probably say I was quite precocious. <laughs> I was extremely curious. Uh, I think my favorite word was why. I used to slightly <laughs> exasperate my mother who, uh, you know, I was desperately always wanting to know why. But I think also I, I learned to be independent at a very early age. We, so I'm originally from Mozambique. You can never tell from my accent, but I am actually Portuguese. But we left when there was a civil war. Right. Um, so we were actually, you know, you would call us, I guess today you would call them, call us refugees. And we, we moved to South Africa for a few years. And then when I was about four years old, we ended up moving to a very small country in Africa called Swaziland. And at the time, sadly, there just weren't any good schools there. And so at a very young age, my parents had to make the tough decision to send us away to boarding school for us to get a decent education. The closest school happened to be an Afrikaans school, and I did not speak a word of Afrikaans. But I can say that within three months, I did speak Afrikaans. I bet. <laughs> but because I was only seven, you know, I had to learn to be independent. And I think that independent spirit has definitely stayed with me throughout my life. And when you were little, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, I was convinced I was going to be a translator for the United Nations. Brilliant. That was my thing. I mean... I'm not so sure whether it was the desire to be a translator that did it for me or this idea of just flitting about the world, translating things. It does sound very glamorous. Yeah, that was that was my dream. I was going to be a translator for the United Nations. We're, we're actually uh, blessed to have an amazing guy who, who works uh, with us. He's also independent, but uh, Richard Simcott is our languages consultant and he speaks over 25 languages and actually used to do exactly that, doing that sort of translating, uh, you know, jumping from person to person around the table. And I don't know, it just sounds so 
amazing doesn't it he's he's an incredible guy so yes yeah it does sound incredible I I definitely cannot beat his I mean I'm I'm at four and that's that's my kind of limit so the fact he can do that many is hugely impressive if it makes you feel any better that's four times the number of languages that I can speak (laughs) (laughs) have you had a job that you'd describe as your worst job you don't have to name names although obviously feel free if you'd like to so I can't say I've had any awful jobs but I can definitely say I've had awful bosses. Right. And I can definitely say that what I took from those experiences was definitely what not to do. Um, so I had one boss who basically everything was my fault. If business wasn't performing, it was my fault. And I mean, I consider myself a pretty, a pretty sort of resilient human being, but he was the one boss who made me cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also had one boss who was the CEO and I ended up having to raise a bullying complaint against him. Um, oh, no. I'm pleased to say that he did in the end get fired. But uh, yeah, I've had some pretty awful bosses, although the jobs themselves, thankfully, have never been awful. I suppose you could argue the boss made them awful, but yeah. For sure. And and I can't remember who it was who said it, but th- they said people don't leave bad companies, they leave bad managers. Yeah, I really believe people work for people. Yes. You've obviously worked across a a variety of sectors and for some amazing and impressive brands. So what impact do you think having a passion for the brand or the product has on marketeers? Do you think it makes a difference to the quality of job that you do if, if if you're working on a brand that you don't absolutely love the product? I would definitely say there were some brands that I that I worked for and with that I just instantly love loved and I have always admired those brands and just loved working on them and those were the kinds of brands where I would get the call and just immediately say yes Mm -hmm. there were definitely some other brands where I would say it was more of a slow burn and I, I definitely grew to love the brands I mean I haven't worked on any brand that I've disliked or that I've not ended up loving Um, And frequently those calls where it wasn't necessarily a brand I instantly love, the reason why I pursued the opportunities was either because I wanted the challenge Mm -hmm. or because I saw something in the brand um, or potential of what it could be and what I thought I might be able to do with the brand. And so a really good example for me was when I went to work in automotive retail for four years. Uh, I mean, nobody dreams of selling cars for a living and, you know, trying to convince people to service their cars. And it's a really interesting relationship with the customer because people, it's a very high interest purchase when you're buying your car, but it actually becomes a bit of a distress purchase when it comes to servicing. And dealers are inherently not trusted. You know, nobody really trusts Mm -hmm. a dealer. They sort of, you know, put it in, in, in the same camp as, you know, state agents and recruiters frequently. But the opportunity to go in and really transform a retailer and what it means to be an automotive retailer was was such a fantastic opportunity and such, in some ways, a lofty ambition. And I just loved it. Hugely challenging, but so rewarding at the end of it. We talked a little bit about some of the people who had a fairly negative impact on you in your career, but I'm sure there must be genuine humans who've had a really positive influence on you. Can you talk about any of those? So the, the first person who immediately springs to mind for me is actually my dad. My dad just always championed my education. He always championed my independence uh, and my ambition. He, 
he was one of those people who just always expected me to be the best, but he also always accepted me just the way I am. It was kind of this bizarre combo he managed to, to master. And in many ways, I suspect I, I inherited my curiosity and my relentless pursuit of the new from him. So we definitely called him out. I think the other person, I had the most amazing boss at Unilever. Um, and again, he really championed my progression. And I can remember going into his office one day and telling him that I wanted to pursue a distance learning MBA. And he didn't even bat an eyelid. He just said, absolutely, if that's what you want to do, I'll support you all the way. So he was a really, um, a really huge influence on, on my career. Um, and then I think for me, some of the other people who've influenced me weren't necessarily people I've worked with or even people I've met, actually, mm-hmm. but people who I've learned from and I guess aspire to be more like. And one that always stands out for me is uh, Dame Carolyn McCall. So she, you know, she headed up The Guardian for a number of years she then went on to be the CEO at EasyJet, which would not have been an easy gig given um, the shareholders there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then today she she's the CEO of ITV. But I think the way that she has lived her career, and I know some people who have worked for her, who speak so highly about her leadership and how she takes people with her. Um, and so I look to leaders like that as as just great role models. Perfect. Thank you. Celia, I'd love to chat a bit more about Love Home Swap because if I've got this right, you started, you came on board as the MD four weeks before lockdown started. Is, is that right? It was five weeks. Five so weeks. I actually got a whole additional week. <laughs> Every week matters then, I think. But oh, yes. this It must have been just such an interesting, crazy, strange 18 months. I'd, I'd love you to just talk about what, what is it? What has it been like for you personally? What has it been like for the team? I guess to set the scene, I joined Love Home Swap really with this massive five-year plan that had been been, been written, which was uh, you know, involved hockey stick growth. Um, it was a 10x revenue plan. It involved doubling the team in 2020 and then doubling again in 2021. So it was a really ambitious business plan. And the first five weeks were about getting to know the team and injecting energy and enthusiasm for where we were going. So everything was obviously going swimmingly well. And then things came to a screeching halt very, very abruptly. And what COVID did is it forced me to ask myself some tough questions. You know, the first was around, do we even have a viable business? Mm. Is our business model sustainable? And if it is, how are we going to survive this? If it's not, do we need to pivot or actually can we pivot? I had to do a lot of soul searching about what is our culture to the extent I'd be able to get under the skin of it in my Mm. first five weeks. But really importantly, what do we want it to be as we face into this? In particular, not knowing how long this was going to last for. A real area of focus for me was around how do we really focus on our people How do we keep them motivated? How do we keep them engaged? And how do we really importantly continue to help them feel connected when everybody's working remotely, you know, from their kitchen tables? The other piece for me was around visible leadership. Mm. How do you remain visible as a leader when people don't really know you yet? They haven't really had the opportunity to get to know your personality and how you like to work and your expectations. 
and at the same time you're trying to build rapport with them. So it was things like the ability for people just to book coffee chats with me, uh, to talk about anything other than work, but just to get to know each other on a human level. Things like weekly all hands and even simple things like a daily hello on Slack so that people know you're visible Mm. and you are there. I also had to be really honest about where we were as a business. On the one hand, how incredibly lucky we are to have a really supportive holding company. I always call them the mothership. (laughs) But also recognizing that working in travel is a scary place right now. And for a lot of people, it is very scary. But also remind our team that it's also an incredibly resilient sector. You know, people's desire and appetite for travel will always remain and people will come back. Mm. So the reminder for people is just, you know, business is cyclical. doesn't matter what industry you're in. It's cyclical and there'll be ups and downs. And in the same way, there were some winners during COVID and, and we were one of the losers. Things will swing back around again to try and keep the team, you know, motivated and engaged. So it's been a, a real sort of test of your leadership over the last 18 months. How, how would you describe your leadership style? I think the first thing I would say is human. I think you've got to be human when you face into into difficult situations like these and people will get the sense of how transparent you're being and how approachable you're being and how real you are being. I've always been um, one of those leaders who sets high expectations for my team, but I always believe that my role is to give people the tools and the support they need and then get out of the way Mm. and let them do their best work. So, So that's really been how I've approached it throughout this period Um, and just trying to be as authentic as I possibly can be so that people get that real sense of what's going on because people can spot a fake mile away. And I think that this is a nice segue because I was going to say there's a very sort of a a kind uh, leadership style that I've always um, admired you for. And I know that we're both members of Marketing Kinds, but you're one of the original ambassadors could you just talk about a bit more about marketing kind for some people won't have heard of it I'd love you to sort of just share a bit more about what you're doing there well thank you so much for asking about marketing kind this is going to be my one plug today so uh, I'm hoping I'll be able to get away with that marketing kind is it's just something I feel so incredibly passionately about how can we as marketeers use our collective talents and our skills to support small charities and good causes. You know, these charities, these good causes, they can't afford marketeers, but how can we support them to further their work? In reality, it's such a simple, simple concept, um, and it's built out of the belief that for most of us, you know, the work that we do, we do because we want to make a difference. But by pooling our collective capabilities and strengths, we can make an even bigger difference together. So if you are listening to this uh, and you want to find out more, this is my little plug, please do find out more at marketingkind.org and do consider joining us. Yeah, it's such an amazing organization and some great people who are part of it as well. It seems to be getting bigger and bigger by the week. So yes, definitely get in touch with Celia about that. So talking about purpose-led advertising, what which brands do you think are really nailing this at the moment? Who's who's doing a good job in this purpose led advertising? Oh, that's a good good question. I think there are a lot of brands that are trying to figure out 
how they can do this in an authentic way. And I guess my perspective is that it has to come from a a really deeply ingrained sense of purpose and understanding why your brand exists and what role it plays in society. Uh, So it's an old one, but for me, I've always loved what Dove has done with their campaign for real beauty. Mm -hmm. It's just always felt like that comes from a very real place. I also think there are some small fashion brands doing some interesting things around the impact of fashion on sustainability and who've actually been able to achieve B Corp certification as part of that. So there's a tiny little brand, it's called Baukian, and they just do amazing things. In fact, just today they they launched a Swap It September where you can trade in your old clothing that you bought from them and, and basically get a voucher towards new clothes and then they use that to um, to do some good in the world. Uh, and then I think the other one for me is a brand called Abel and Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do vegetable. They started out years and years ago actually doing organic vegetable boxes um, and then they've branched out and they now do meats and all sorts. So they've been around for a really long time. Um, but what I really love is that they've always come from that really true place of good food that nourishes the soul and is good for you. Um, and I'm, and I've loved seeing that they've now gone into broadcast media to really spread their message even further. So there's some great examples there. Now, you've been in the industry uh, for, for a while now. If you had a sort of magic wand and could make changes to the industry, what, what else do we need to do as an industry? What changes do we still need to make? I just think, I think we, we need to take what we do seriously, but not take ourselves too seriously. If we can do that, then, you know, this, the next step on is to really think about how we take that even further beyond our day jobs and how we can use our skills to give something back to society. Mm. I mean, it links quite nicely back to the marketing kind discussion we were having earlier. But I just think there's so much more we can do with the collective skills we have. And, yeah, you know, thinking about how we can do more with, with what we have. It was interesting that in the perhaps the first lockdown when things were incredibly intense, seeing how many um, agencies uh, were helping their clients, but also how brands were working together to to um, to do things to help the, you know, in the height of the pandemic. You know, it's obvious that everybody can do more and collaborate more and perhaps share their knowledge. So I, I wonder if we'll if that will continue now. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, who's one of the co-founders of Marketing Kind, he wrote this amazing book called Collaborative Advantage, and I highly recommend it um, for for anyone who who is interested in this concept of brands working together. And it's, it's all about not necessarily just brands, but the world working together and moving away from this notion of competitive advantage to a world of collaborative advantage where we get more by by collaborating than we do by competing. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting concept. I do love a, a bit of brand banter as well, or brander, mm-hmm. where I, I know it's not to the same degree, but just seeing brands join the conversation on social media and essentially kind of co-marketing each other I, I do mm-hmm. it's a very small scale collaboration but um, it always makes me smile yeah I think it does make a huge difference I mean even now at Love Home Swap in fact just yesterday I was speaking to the CEO of our biggest competitor and we check in occasionally and, and talk about 
the world of home swapping and how they see the world and what they are seeing in the various markets in which they operate. And we talk about what legislation is up to in various countries and, and you know, have, have even in the past shared legal advice of what we've been told about certain legal implications. And, you know, that works really well for us. Um, obviously, we're a niche player, so it's, a, it's different from any other brands. But, um, you know, I find it of value and I know he does too. Yeah, well, I think anything that can help increase that that market as well, just by sort of sharing information. So I know that in a similar way, I was meet, I've been meeting up with lots of agency founders over over the months and just checking in on each other, actually. And it's it's a really good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to move on to the part of the podcast where we get a bit more personal now, Celia, if you don't mind. So I'm going to kick things off with asking how you like to spend your downtime and if you have any guilty pleasures. So I'm going to be probably fairly boring on this one and say the expected things. I mean, I love travel. I guess you'd expect me to say that. I love uh, having a lovely meal out. And then I suppose my guilty pleasure would be shopping. Online shopping or you kind of in person? So I, I'm predominantly online, even pre-COVID, um, don't really have time to, to go to shops. And um, I, I have to say all my delivery drivers know me by, by my first name. <laughs> they know exactly where to leave the parcels to the extent where if they are coming down the street, even if a parcel's not for me and for one of my neighbors, they just default to leaving it at my house because they just assume it must surely be for me. <laughs> so, um, so that would definitely qualify as my guilty pleasure. I don't know if you're, well, I shouldn't tar anyone else with this brush, but I have to keep my phone away from me if I've had a couple of glasses of wine in the evening, because I, I sometimes do tipsy shopping. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. um, I don't even have wine as an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a whole hashtag around Instagram made me buy it. and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But still, it was very nice to meet Emily Sandé in person with those meet and greet VIP gig tickets. <laughs> oh, wow. You really went big. I went for it that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I keep my phone away from me on those evenings now. <laughs> so if you could swap homes with anyone in the world, living or dead, from any time period, who would it be? Well, I'd, I'd love to say I would definitely love to swap some of the homes on Love Home Swap. They look amazing. And yeah. when I was interviewing for the role, I remember spending too many hours looking at the homes going, I'm definitely going to go to that one. I'm definitely going to go to that one. And then, of course, I've been nowhere other than my own home. <laughs> but I guess not strictly a home swap, but I don't know if you've seen that show, Hamilton. I haven't seen it, but I yeah. really want to. It's it sounds brilliant. amazing. Highly recommend it. There's a, a song they sing called uh, All About Being in the Room Where It Happened, which refers to um, a point in US history where Hamilton basically trades the, the location of the nation's capital in return for the freedom to create what really became the US financial system. And I'm fascinated by that because of the consequences that that's created in the world and so many events that have then gone on to flow from that. So, uh, as I say, not strictly a home swap, but I would have loved to have been in the room when it happened to, uh, to have understood the conversations and the rationale. That is a brilliant answer. Now, if you could wake up tomorrow with one new skill or ability, what would it be? And I would, by the way, I would really love to have the skill. For me, it would be the ability to make everyone kind. Mm. 
I really just think the world would be a better place if we remember that everyone has stuff going on in their lives, mm. that everyone has had bad experiences and, you know, some people might just be having a bad day, that it isn't all about you and that maybe just a kind word or even just a thank you makes a difference. So, yeah, that would be my super skill is to wave my magic wand and make everyone be kind. Wonderful. And what have you learned about yourself during the pandemic and the last 18 months? I don't think I've learned anything new necessarily, but I think the last few months have perhaps reinforced a few things for me. The first would be that, you know, people matter, people first all day, every day. For me, it's all about the people. The second is that health matters. Uh, and I guess that would be the expected one, but but health in its broadest sense, both mental and physical. And and focusing on that for me, given I've had some health issues and, and those have been, I guess, worsened during COVID, really understanding how important that is both for me, but also for those around me. And I think the the, the piece that's probably struck with me the strongest has been how much I need to feel like I'm making a difference. Mm. Right. To the people and the businesses around me. Um, and that's really where I get my buzz and my energy from. And and I guess that just amped up for me during COVID um, as I thought about where I was going to focus my energies. But that's been a real learning. If Tamara and I could gift you an extra hour every day, how would you spend it? So the first thing I would say is thank you very much. I will take that extra you hour. very welcome. <laughs> I would love to have it. I would say learning. With everything that I have on my plate, I frequently feel that the opportunity to learn, to read, and just absorb new information is limited. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that extra hour would be just a wonderful gift to be able to learn. Yeah, it can feel selfish is the wrong word, but it's, there's a kind of guilt for me, if I'm spending time just reading or learning or something that I want to learn, because I think there must be something else I should be doing right now. That carved out time is so important. That's exactly it. You feel like you need to be doing all yeah. the time instead of just thinking yeah. and reflecting and reading. And I, yeah, I think that would definitely be the, the worthy, worthy use of that extra hour. How would your friends describe you? And is that the same as how you'd like them to describe you? I think they would definitely say driven. They would say ambitious, but possibly with a dash of silly. <laughs> um, I like to think that I don't take myself too seriously uh, and can be, you know, can be quite silly. So um, I think that's probably what they would say, uh, you know, aside from, I guess, the expected things around loyal and all the mm -hmm. kind of things that make you sound like a puppy rather than a friend. <laughs> Everyone needs a streak of silly, I think. Absolutely. Exactly. I'm okay with that. Dash of silly sounds good to me. How do you define success? I think it's about can you get to the end of your life, a project, an initiative, a role, and honestly say, I made a difference and I've left things in a better state than I found it in, whether that's businesses or people have I left it in a better state? For me, that's that would be the definition of success. Well, Celia, I always love spending time with you. I kind of, whenever I do see you, 
I do actually want to make the world a better place. So I think you've just got that sort of that, that vibe about you. But it's, it's been just such a pleasure to have you today. Is there anything else that we either haven't asked you or if you have any sort of closing thoughts, I'm, I'm going to pass the platform over to you. Thank you. I guess I would say it will all be okay. Whatever the twists and turns are that you take, it will all be okay and things will work out the way that we're meant to. And I think the other piece, which has been actually a huge learning for me personally in my life, is to focus on what things feel like and not what they look like. Because I think so frequently, particularly when we're all ambitious and we're trying to get ahead, we focus on the job title, we focus on you know, the right brand or whether it's going to give us the right kudos or what it's going to look like on our CV, rather than how am I going to feel about it? And is it going to make me feel as though I'm progressing in the direction that I want to take in my life and in my career? And so it's a hard one lesson for me, but hopefully I can shortcut it for some other people. Yeah, focus on focus on what it feels like, not what it looks like. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.